Hello and welcome to the Gen Ed 101 podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Radke, and with me today is fellow pod person, Mark Whale. Nice to be with you, Nathan. And we're not alone today, because Mark, if you look in front of you, you'll see that there is a glass. And in that glass, what do you see? I see some yellow liquid, which looks suspiciously like beer. Yeah. Now give it a taste to make sure that it isn't some other yellow liquid. Nope, it's beer. Okay, that's a relief. Which is kind of interesting because we're talking about climate change, right? We might get to that, but I wanted to spend more time talking about beer. I think it's helpful for us to understand humans, we have to look at this sort of golden liquid. And I'll explain why. Humans have, as far as we can tell, always enjoyed some kind of intoxication. This was probably true when we were hunting and gathering. We would probably occasionally come across a fruit that was a little bit too ripe and had already started fermenting and turning into basically booze. But when humans have a little bit of alcohol, they feel better. Now that was an advantage back then because the riper a fruit is, the closer it gets to that point where it starts to turn into booze, the more sugar it has, the more calories it has. So at a time when it was hard to come by food, which was most of human existence, the ability to eat something that was a little bit fermented and get a bit of a, a buzz off of it, that was really helpful. I mean, to understand where humans are now, I mean, with our massive civilization, with the fact that there are seven billion of us, you really have to look at beer in particular. They have the suspicion, and there's some evidence for it, that we started fermenting grains before we were using them for bread. So we're talking like 10,000 years ago. Basically the dawn of what we now think of as human civilization, when we stopped hunting and gathering, when we started settling down and farming. And that was a huge moment in human history because for the first time ever, we could stop wandering from place to place, stop being small little nomadic tribes, and start to assemble what we would now call civilization. So based on uh, the evidence that we found, archaeological evidence that we found from the ancient Natufians, who were located in what we would now consider basically Iraq, uh, the Middle East, between the Tigris and the Euphrates, and that is one of the oldest civilizations we've ever seen. Based on what we've seen from the Natufians, not only were they harvesting grains that would have been pretty useless for eating, but very helpful for beer brewing, but they've also uncovered these massive pots that would have been ideal for fermenting beer. You're not saying that fermenting beer is the reason that humans stopped wandering around in tribes and settled. You're saying that as a result of their settling, they began to cultivate, to grow their own stuff, and one of those things was grain. Well, actually, I'm not going to go so far as to say that making booze wasn't the reason we started settling down. Uh -huh. I mean, we don't have enough evidence for that. But, I mean, we're not sure which came first. Which came, did we settle down and then start making booze? Or did we want to make booze so we started settling down? There isn't really, I mean, it's obviously hard There's to get also, evidence about that. The interesting thing about booze is that it is obviously, it's in a sense, its own disinfectant. Or it, it is, like drinking booze was like drinking sack in uh, Shakespearean times was a way of making sure that the liquid you were consuming was not contaminated with some 
bacteria because basically the alcohol killed off the bacteria. Oh, for sure. It was far safer to drink booze back yeah. then than to drink the water. Yeah. And the other thing, of course, is that, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you drink a bunch of beer, sometimes you have ideas that you wouldn't have without drinking the beer. I have noticed that. Would yeah. you agree? I would agree. There's, of course, a point in the beer drinking where the ideas become more garbled than they were at the beginning, but there's this kind of sweet point where suddenly mm -hmm. everything becomes clear. Used to be about five beers in, now it's probably two beers for me. Uh, there, was a, <laughs> there was a point at which five beers was when the ideas really started to flow. Right. Now, most of the time, our drunken ideas are terrible. I think you would agree. I would agree that. Most of the time our drunken ideas are things like you're walking down the street after being at the pub and you see a pylon and you think I should put that on my head and be an orange wizard. That is the kind of idea that we get when we are drinking alcohol. <clears throat> but occasionally some of those ideas would have been good. They would have been ideas that we wouldn't have come up with before. And so early humans becoming inebriated probably came up with a lot of innovations that they wouldn't otherwise come up with. You're going to try stuff that you wouldn't normally try. This is true. So the relationship between beer in particular and civilization is, I think, a really important and complex one. Is this a, an idea that you have any evidence for? Or is this based on your own research Well, in there, terms of beer drinking and ideas and the difference between pylons on your head and actually worthy? Well, the pylon on my head example that does come from me but the idea that the Natufian people had perhaps settled down in order that they could brew beer that actually comes from a bunch of uh, professors at Simon Fraser University uh -huh. Canadians right so there is some archaeological evidence for this and there is definitely archaeological evidence that we have been brewing beer for a really long time and that isn't just archaeological evidence I mean uh, you're familiar with the Epic of Gilgamesh mm -hmm. one of our earliest stories the wild man in the story in the Epic of Gilgamesh, in Kidu, they get him to come down from the mountains by offering him beer. Mm -hmm. And that's probably one of the oldest human stories, and there beer is already. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Right. So, I mean, take a sip for a second and really think about it. We're sort of drinking civilization right there. I mean, so many different aspects of it. Innovation, agriculture, and society and civilization are all sitting there in that glass. Now if you want to pour a little bit more in for a second, I want you to pay attention to the bubbles. Yeah, I want you to pay attention to the bubbles. They start streaming quite a lot at the beginning and then they settle down a bit and now there's a white throffy bit on top which fortunately is not float over the edge of the glass. Yeah, very tidy of you. Now this is really what I want to talk about. The rest of it was preamble. Because not only can you understand the rise of humans by understanding beer, but maybe by understanding beer we can also maybe learn something else about humans. The but, fall? Yeah, maybe we can understand the fall of humans by also understanding beer. Those bubbles that you're talking about are one of the key parts of beer. Like, it wouldn't be beer without them. And... The other important part of beer, of course, is the alcohol content, mm -hmm. which goes between like three and a half to maybe nine percent, but normally is around five percent. Yeah. Well, how much do you know about the way this beer is made? Not a lot. Ah. I well, know that it involves hops mm -hmm. and barley, yep. possibly, and 
Yeast. Ah, see, that's what we're talking about ah, now. Yeast. Now, yeast is an organism. Barley and hops are, of course, plants. But the yeast is an organism. It's an active little creature, a single-celled organism. And it does a few things really well. It consumes sugar really well. That's all they want to do. All they want to do all day long is just consume sugar, consume sugar, consume sugar. Uh, and then once they've consumed enough sugar and they've built up enough energy, they can reproduce. And then they do that by splitting in half and becoming two yeast cells. And so if you have a small amount of yeast cells in a sugary liquid, they will immediately set about eating and reproducing and eating and reproducing and eating and reproducing. The reason that we put yeast into our sugary solutions to make beer is because of a sort of a byproduct of this yeast consumption. Because they eat the sugar and they crap two things. <laughs> they, and what are the two things that they crap out? They crap. Ugh. I have no idea. What do they crap out? They crap out... Alcohol. Okay. And carbon dioxide. Uh-huh. So this, Who would have known it? And how many beers have you had in your lifetime? I've had many, many, many beers. Yeah, and right. all of those beers that you have had, you could only have had because of the work of millions, billions of tiny little organisms eating and crapping and eating and crapping and eating and crapping until they have consumed most of the sugar <clears throat> and crapped out alcohol and carbon dioxide. I think I might have just gone off beer. No, if anything, you should enjoy it more. You just have to appreciate all the work that went into it. If I'm drinking crap. Well, yes. You're, technically, you're drinking the waste products of yeast. And it wouldn't just be the crap. I think technically it would be the crap, which would be the alcohol, and the flatulence. Right. Which would be the carbon dioxide. <laughs> okay. Levels. But here's it's where this story... Better. Oh, it's about to get worse. <laughs> it's about to get sad. Because, of course, if you drank yeast, you'd get quite sick. Uh, the way they would interact with uh, your digestive system, it would be, it would be unpleasant. Mm -hmm. But you can safely drink that beer without worrying about uh, taking in any kind of uh, living yeast because the process of making this beer killed all of the yeast that were responsible for crapping out all of that delicious alcohol and carbon dioxide. Because the problem is, while they love sugar, they are deathly allergic to alcohol. And so what happens in a confined space, they will... With, a, with only a certain amount of resources, they will consume all of the sugar and crap themselves to death. And you can actually watch this happen. I've brewed, my own, I've brewed my own beer, and you at first put in the yeast into the sugary solution, and it gets very cloudy, mm -hmm. because that's the yeast just exploding in population and just having the big old yeast party. So how quickly are they uh, reproducing? In a two-liter bottle, um, like a typical pop bottle, if you put like a vitamin-sized pill worth of yeast in, they would fill the entire bottle within about a week. Hmm. And in two weeks, it would no longer be cloudy. It would be clear. It would be clear, and at the bottom of that bottle would be that silt. The dead bodies. The dead bodies of all those yeast who have crapped themselves to death. Because at no point did they ever consider the fact that maybe they should take more care with the way that they were consuming the resources. And we wouldn't expect them to because they're single-celled organisms. But I think you can see where this is going and how this applies to human beings. Because my question to you is this. Do you think that human beings are wiser than brewer's yeast? 
So in other words, what you're suggesting is that human beings are multiplying like the yeast as they feed on the sugar of the land. Uh, the problem is, of course, is that the, the byproduct of whatever the human beings are excreting, uh, which is, I guess, the pollution, uh, the garbage, the waste, uh, the overconsumption, is what is going to ultimately kill them. Well, I mean, it's an interesting is parallel. That the analogy? Yeah, I think that's the analogy, because, I mean, it's an interesting parallel. Our society has to has to burn to survive. We're up on the 25th floor right now, and if you look out onto the street, you can see these massive vehicles driving around, taking people here and there and moving goods around. And that's done through explosions, through the combustion of fossil fuels, which then, of course, releases carbon dioxide into the air. And as you know, uh, the increase in carbon dioxide, because that isn't just cars, it's also factories, it's also power plants, it's, it's all of our every time we burn coal, every time we burn wood, we're reintroducing carbon dioxide into the air that had previously been locked away in solid form. Mm -hmm. And of course, the increase in carbon dioxide in the air has the result of... Global warming. Precisely. And people have said, oh, you know, we're destroying the earth. And that's nonsense. We couldn't destroy the earth. We can't do anything to hurt the earth. What we could do is hurt the conditions that we need to live on the earth. Right. And that's an important distinction. Yeah. Like, if we consumed all the resources and warmed up the earth and ice caps melted and things flooded, some animals would still do very well. Jellyfish are doing quite well right now, as are squid. Mm -hmm. But a lot of animals aren't. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. The other day I was on my way up to Humber and I saw a wolf at the side of the road. And I thought, it's amazing to see a high-level predator like that. It means that that area must be doing pretty well if it can support a high-level predator like a wolf. And then I thought, I see high-level predators all the time. I'm surrounded by high-level predators because we're high-level predators. But there is no other predator, and we are basically at the top of the food chain, we eat everything. There's no other predator that lives in such massive abundance. It takes a lot of deer to feed a small wolf population, and it takes a lot of everything to feed a massive human population. So then the question becomes, are we basically like yeast, just organisms which are programmed to reproduce and consume without looking ahead to the future, in which case we will end up like yeast in a two liter bottle of sugar? Cleared out. Mm -hmm. Or are we wise and can we somehow manage our environment so that we can find some kind of balance between the way we want to live and the way that we can afford to live. Is That's it, my question to you. It's a very good question, and I would like to think that we are wise, and that we are, at least we're a stage above brewer's yeast. Well, it's, what, what's your evidence for that? So my evidence for that is, I guess, that we do have, we do have a consciousness, and we do have people like yourself who are able to draw these analogies. Yeast, I would imagine, cannot sit around and, and kind of mull the fact that they seem to be programmed to self-destruct. But uh, no, we don't have, you know, yeast is not self-conscious. Human beings are self-conscious and they have the ability to actually predict, in a sense, and think about their own self-destruction. Now, the question that 
that I'm that still stands is yeah okay we can predict it but does that mean we can do anything about it and and it seems at the moment as we stand really the us as continuing meat eaters people who are uh, producing uh, carbon dioxide the whole time who are still buying SUVs despite the fact that we have all this evidence uh, of global warming who are still uh, campaigning to have pipelines built who are still reliant upon oil fields for jobs and yet we know now more than ever that you know the ice cap is melting at a faster rate than anybody could have predicted so temperatures apparently this year in some places in the Arctic have risen by 33 degrees Celsius like so that's the rise in the temperature 33 degrees Celsius I mean it was like whatever the difference is like you know it was minus 43 last year and now it's like 10 minus 10 or something but that kind of rise in temperature uh, the, the the rise then in seawater as the the ice cap melts and you know and of course that's where the human populations live for the most part they live by the sea by the coast well I mean Noam Chomsky I was listening to a, a lecture by him the other day and he's saying you know in in a couple of years time we can expect millions of people in Bangladesh in low-lying areas of Bangladesh to be fleeing so I'm I, I'm not sure I mean obviously there are that was quite a rant you just went on by the way I did yeah I did go on a rant now you're a vegetarian aren't you I am and uh, I, you know I, it, it's interesting because I didn't start being a vegetarian because I wanted to save the planet in terms of global warming but it turns out that according to a number of commentators Cowspiracy is a place you can get it's a it's a documentary that talks about uh, the impact of the livestock industry mm -hmm. um, on global warming, on climate change. It takes a lot of food to get a pound of meat out of a cow. Yes. Uh, the cow is a very inefficient way of turning plants into meat. Exactly, yeah. So you need fields of vegetation. So it takes a lot of food, it takes mm -hmm. a lot of grass to do that, and it takes a lot of water. It takes 600 gallons of water per burger. Mm -hmm. So... You know, obviously, which not, so, that that sounds impossible. Yeah, it does sound impossible. Uh, you know, at the same time, as uh, vegetarian or meat eaters will argue, well, it takes uh, something like five gallons of water per almond. Yeah. Uh, also, avocados apparently are a bit of a disaster. Right. But that's that's not to say I, I do. Th I mean, it's interesting because I think actually probably one of the things that we could do overnight which could at least alleviate the global warming situation is to actually all turn vegetarian. But the likelihood of that ever happening, and, and interestingly, you know, somebody like Naomi Klein, who wrote a book called uh, This Changes Everything, which is about global warming, and she's very active in terms of trying to campaign against carbon emissions and getting governments to actually commit to reducing carbon emissions. She does not mention our diet in terms of a way of addressing this. And I think the reason she doesn't mention it is because... It would be wildly unpopular. It would be wildly unpopular. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you, just you saying this, that I have to stop eating meat, has made you less popular with me? No, I can imagine that, yeah. Because... And it, it, it does, it makes me... But I don't, so that's why I don't say it anymore. Yeah. In fact, I've started eating my meat myself. No, I haven't. No. Well, it is delicious. Although... I mean, if you look at the food conversion ratio, that's a number that you can put on different meats to know how much food it takes to get a pound of meat from that kind of food. So a cow has a food conversion ratio, or an FCR, of something around five, I believe. 
and pigs. So that means like for every pound of meat you get from a cow, you had to feed it five pounds of food. Right. And pigs are the same, around four and a half. Chickens are pretty good, mm. but a 1.7. Okay. You know what's even better? Crickets. Oh, yes, yes. This is the way to go, isn't it? Yeah. I, Insects. okay, I'm going to, I'm on record here because this is a podcast. I'm going to say that, yes, we are going to start eating insects pretty commonly within the next 20 years. I was at a restaurant yesterday um, in the distillery district, uh, which had the option of uh, adding crickets to your meal. Right. Well, you see, crickets, you know, kind of, you can imagine with a bit of balsamic vinegar and sort of kind of grilled or something like that. So they're quite brittle and they're a bit like a, you know, a, I don't know, not, not like nuts, but almost like a crispy type thing. You know, I can imagine that more than termites or... Oh, because you know, the squishy ones the seem squishy grosser. The squishy ones seem grosser, Yeah, don't they? that's true. Like a caterpillar. Yeah. No, I'm not on board with but spiders. Crickets. I Sp- uh, spiders are all leg. Yeah. But no crickets with a little bit of cayenne pepper. Yeah, yeah, that could that could do it. All right, so, but we've been we've, we've become sidetracked here by all we this have, by all this insect eating yeah, talk. Yeah. I want to get back to our original question. Are we wiser than yeast? Now, you could argue, I mean, if you look at the the past, people have often said that disaster was right around the corner. When we were at three and a half billion people, four billion people, there was a lot of people predicting that this is too many people for the earth to support, we'll never be able to grow past this, there's gonna be massive starvation. We're at seven billion people now, and we have come up with new food sources and different grains that are drought resistant and there are fewer people percentage-wise starving now at seven billion right. than there were when we had three and a half billion and that's pretty amazing the life expectancy is longer now at seven billion than it was at three and a half billion which is also pretty remarkable yeah i agree but we're not just talking about sustenance in terms of food we're talking about temperature rise mm-hmm. and water level rise and the question is, are we too late to do anything? Or is there going to come a point when the water simply gets too high? Or when the weather patterns have been changed because of the changes in pressure, because of rising temperatures in different parts of the world, which means we're going to get extreme uh, bouts of weather, of flooding, of uh, intense heat, of drought, uh, which these things seem to be already happening. Well, I mean, uh, the day that we're recording this, which is in early February of 2017, California, as an example, has been going through a drought for several years. They apparently just had a rainstorm that basically gave them like a year's worth of rain in a few days. Right. The weather has become definitely not just, I mean, it isn't simply a matter of things slowly getting warmer. The weather is starting to become quite unpredictable. Yeah. And we're starting to see more extreme weather events. Of course, it's, it's always too simple to say this was caused by climate change or that was caused yeah. by climate change. But certainly we can see that there are more events like this. We can also see that the three or four warmest years in history, recorded history, have been the last 
four years, years as yeah. I recall. This is correct, yeah. So 2016 was the, the warmest year on record, and the previous warmest year on record was 2015, and the previous one was 2014, and I think even 2013. And which is, so of course, is the definition of climate change, because simply seeing changes in the weather is not climate change, because weather is a kind of a local day-to-day sort of day. Day thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas climate is measurement over time, mm-hmm. and we so we're seeing a very clear trend in warming. But I mean, again, the interesting thing about that, and I think the difficult thing about really coming to grips with this and really recognizing the threat to our own existence is when we experience a winter where temperatures are more around sort of zero um, and, you know, you can go out for a walk and occasionally the sun shines and, and in fact, very British type weather we've been having recently, it doesn't feel so bad. And you, you think, well, like, what's the big deal about this climate change? I mean, and, and you see that these extreme weather things are happening in different parts of the world. But I think one of the problems is until it actually happens to you over an extended period of time, until you are forced to leave your house, it's very difficult for you to or want to recognize the urgency and I think part of the problem is the people who are going to be impacted first by climate change are not the people who are, for the most part, responsible for the climate change. You mentioned yeah. the, the massive uh, flooding that could occur in places like Bangladesh. Yeah. Well, the Bangladeshi people are not the ones who have had years of massive industrialization mm-hmm. and uh, using the internal combustion engine but they're the ones who are going to pay for other countries modernizing. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure what the, the answer is to that. The, interesting, the other interesting thing, and maybe this is going to be uh, a little off topic, so, or at least a change in the direction. Again, listening to Noam Chomsky, the, the point Boy, that Boy, you made, and Noam Chomsky. I don't listen to a lot of Noam Chomsky, but this was this one lecture which kind of struck a note. So we've, we've reached this point uh, where actually 97% of climate change scientists do agree that climate change is happening. Mm-hmm. And we had the 2015 uh, summit on climate change in Paris in which agreements were reached uh, in terms of carbon emissions. But apparently uh, the, nothing was put down on paper, at least nothing, none of the targets were kind of uh, put into a treaty because the Republican Party in the States refused to allow Obama to sign up for that. And now, of course, we have the states who have pretty much pulled out of the last climate change summit because Trump had just been elected president. And so now we're in the strange position of looking to China to lead the way on tackling climate change. Well, of course, China, uh, they have been modernizing very quickly. There's a ton of new factories and power plants being built in China all the time. Mm -hmm. The government of China has, it seems, realized the threat that global warming faces to their own people. And they are taking it extraordinarily seriously, although they're at the same time, they're one of the world's largest emitters of greenhouse gases. Because at one point they were like building 10 coal power plants per week or something. Something Ridiculous like that. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, Here in North America, the reason that we enjoy such a high quality of life is because we've had years of cheap power. Yeah. We've had years of burning without concern. So I can understand 
why there's some countries who, when now North America is saying, okay, now we have to limit our, limit our, our production, and the other countries are saying, well, you were able to raise your standard of living by burning. And now when we're starting to do, to do this, you're telling us that we can't when you've already benefited from it. Mm -hmm. So I can understand that perspective. But at the same time, they don't really have a choice, sadly, because they, they are going to be the ones that are going to be impacted the most, number one. And we're all in this together. Yeah. And, 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 and of course, I mean, it's grossly unfair because they're the ones that are going to be impacted. And if, if the states are not allowing any refugees in anymore, I mean, so what's going to happen to all these people who are actually forced out of drought-ridden areas in Africa or flooded areas in Bangladesh? They are going to be coming to the north, to the northern hemisphere. So, uh, and, you know, it does feel that even if we can't allow them to industrialize in the way that we have it, industrialized in the way that we have been producing all of this stuff even if that is no longer possible surely we have some type of responsibility to dealing with the mess we've made uh, and and actually giving them some type of refuge when their homes are destroyed by the the global warming that we have created and that's an area where maybe canada in particular could take a leading role because yeah. canada has a lot of space now, for the most part, that space has been kind of unusable by large groups of people because it's it's just too cold. Yeah. But that is starting to change. It is. So maybe yeah. uh, we need to take advantage of that. And those people who have to flee areas where there are now dreads or are now flooded out, maybe they look to places like Canada as we start to get more land that can be used for farming mm -hmm. as they lose theirs. And maybe that is some way for us to, in a sense, kind of make up for the fact that we are where we are and mm -hmm. the earth is where it is for basically the same reason that we started burning early and we burned often mm -hmm. and we burned ourselves into this sort of first world state yeah yeah and the other interesting thing about the so one of the consequences of global warming is that somewhere like canada which is traditionally cold colder is actually warming up so it's becoming more inhabitable in some senses. And the other thing is the increase in carbon dioxide or the richness of carbon dioxide in the air actually sustains plants because plants eat they, they carbon dioxide. It. So potentially, uh, you know, places like Canada can become far more uh, cultivatable. That's not a word, is it? Uh, far more fertile in terms of producing food, which would then be good if we had a, an increased population. Yeah, and I don't even necessarily think that an increase in population is a bad thing. I mean, the more people there are, the more ideas we have, the more perspectives we can have. Yeah. I mean, there's there's something to be said for that. Yeah, no, but it, uh, but it comes back to that problem again, doesn't it? Your basic problem is, yes, we can have an increased population so long as we act on our gift of foresight or our gift of self-reflection or our which puts us on a different plane to brewer's yeast that essentially is kind of trapped in a cycle. And the question is, we kind of can see we're trapped in the cycle, but you know, your question was, can we actually do anything about that? Um, I'm still not very sure whether we've answered it. I'm still not very sure whether we can do anything about it because it seems that, you know, 
we operate on, I mean, you mentioned greed. It, it seems that the only way that really people are getting on board in terms of how we produce our energy and how we consume it is if you can somehow market renewable energy. If people can see some return, something in it for themselves, other than the, the uh, benefit of the whole planet, it seems to have to be more personal than that. But at the same time, we remember the 80s. And we weren't talking about climate change in the 80s. Do you remember the big environmental catastrophe that we were being faced in the 1980s? Yeah, the, uh, the, the decree uh, oil? No, the ozone layer. Oh, the ozone layer, that's right, yes. Do you remember the that? Hole there, the, the hole in the ozone layer. Yeah. And we were making that because of CFCs and air conditioning. And everyone was like, oh, we're not, we're going to have to give up air conditioning and this and this and this. But we haven't had to give up air conditioning. We changed the way we did air conditioning. We changed, I mean, we were getting ridiculous back then. There was, I mean, our use of styrofoam back in the 80s was obscene, as was our use of hairspray. Right. Which had two terrible effects. One, uh, it was destroying the ozone layer, and two, 80s hair was terrible. It was. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Take a second to think about how yeah. awful it was. Some of those films like uh, Working Girl. Yeah. I saw Working Girl recently. Oh, the hair. Yeah. But we were able to escape both the destruction of the ozone layer and the horrifying 80s hair by simply changing the way we lived. And the yeah. ozone layer has, to a degree, started to repair. Right. So there was something that we decided was a problem, we raised awareness, we acted on it, and things got better. Mm -hmm. So we can do this. We can, and it's good that you bring up, because I think... For people listening to this, it's important to make a distinction between actually the destruction of the ozone layer and the thickening of the gases blanket that surrounds the world, which is kind of holding the heat in, which is creating global warming, because I know there is sometimes confusion around that. Yeah, so I think what you're saying is, along with this problem of yeast being kind of trapped in a sort of... Uh, a circle of self-destruction and the analogy with humans that we're kind of possibly also trapped in that, that circle is a kind of myopia, a kind of a, an inability on our parts to see beyond that trapped circle. And that has two different kind of sides to it. One, is, the first side is that yes, we, we keep doing the things which are bringing about our self-destruction. But two, we fail to see that actually we have been in this cycle a number of times before and we actually do get out of it. You know, it seems to be constantly over the last you know, 40 years that people uh, are saying uh, that, you know, things are getting worse, uh, that the youth of today is uh, really unconcerned with politics and unconcerned with uh, the environment. and. You know, and this is a symptom of today. And yet you look back at the uh, beginning of the 90s, the beginning of the 80s, beginning of the 70s, the same complaint was being made. It sure. seems, seems to be, so what I'm saying is, is that we're also trapped in the cycle of believing that we're about to self-destruct. It's true. It's quite meta. And, and actually, if you look at the statistics, you do find, as you, you mentioned earlier, that actually world poverty is on the decrease. Literacy is on the rise. Literacy is on the rise. The, there's more and more uh, 
the, the, the equality between men and women in terms of education is actually increasing. Still a lot of work to do yeah, in all of these areas. There's a lot areas, of work to obviously, do, but, but yeah. there has been some progress yeah, made. Yeah. So I guess the, my question that I had at the very beginning, are we wiser than brewer's yeast? We haven't answered it. You and I haven't answered it yet. But you and I haven't answered it yet because all of us as humans have basically not answered it yet. The way we will answer that is if we can find a way of increasing quality of life for all people while at the same time paying attention to the resources of the earth and the living conditions that we need and other animals need and the ecosystem needs in order to maintain some kind of stability. If we can do that, then we can say, yeah, we were wiser than yeast.